0: And this is a good crowd on Monday night. It's hard to get folks out at 6.45 in the evening. How to work get home and change clothes and uh, get something to eat or to get out the service. And I'm glad to see you here. This is a good crowd. I'm very pleased. And that's it's not yesterday. It rained here yesterday. Did it rain where you live yesterday? It rained, where, it, it rained here. I mean, it really rained yesterday. It turned out to be beautiful today. They call this the capital of uh, Rose, capital of the world, but I haven't seen Rose since I've been here, you know? Unless it's named after some lady named Rose or something, I I don't know. But I I want to see some of these roses while I leave. How many preachers are here and full-time Christian workers, associate pastors, missionaries, evangelists, and so on? Would you raise your hand behind me and say, how many preachers are full-time Christian workers? Why don't you stand? Let me look at you. And just keep standing a minute. Don't sit down. I feel better already. I mean, I... You, you, you're a good-looking crowd to me. That's wonderful. I estimate there to be about 1,812, and I'm—that's a wonderful crowd of preachers. Delighted you're here. Thank you. Be seated. Uh, I see David Boler over here, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church, Montgomery, Alabama, will be speaking later in the week. Probably as the fastest-growing church in Alabama. I'm guessing at that, but it's one pastor that's moving on. I'll tell you that. And uh, over here we have Randy Ray, pastor of Metropolitan Baptist Church up in Madison, Tennessee. I want to say Nashville every time. But it's officially Madison, isn't it? And uh, you'll like these, uh, sort to of say, young men. That sounds ugly when I, sounds a little, uh, I don't know what, when I look at old men, call them young, I, I get to worrying about myself. I turned 51 my last birthday and somebody asked me if I thought I'd reach middle age and I said, I hope so. That means uh, it'll be 102, that'll be all right, I guess. But I may have reached middle age. They say middle age is when the broad mind and narrow waist exchanges places. In that case, Larry is middle aged too, I see. I went to the co-op the other day to get some horse feed and got on the scales it said ready for market. Where the one fella got old and started losing his hearing. It's he too cheap to buy a hearing aid, so he just wrapped a wire around his ear and stuck it down inside his collar. And some fellow say, "Can you hear any better with that wire wrapped around your ear?" Well, he said, "No, I can't. But when people see it, they all talk louder." That's a brilliant idea. I like that idea. I'm going to try it when I need a hearing aid. Most folks who claim they can't hear can hear anyway when they want to hear. You ever notice that? If you want, if you want to listen to you, say something about them in a very low voice. Tell you every word you say. I used to work at the post office with a fellow we nicknamed Boy because he's the skinny and dried up. He's older. He couldn't hear good in one ear. He did hear good out of the other ear. And the fellow said to him, one day, Boy, loan me $5. He said, What did you say? And he said, "Uh, I said, Loan me $10. He said, Say it again, this $5 ear. He heard him the first time. He heard that word the guy said. I'm glad to see these uh, younger preachers here. They're not young, but younger. We're glad to see them here. And they're doing a good job. And I I rejoice in good, soul-winning churches. I really believe with all my heart the hope of the world is a good Bible-believing, soul-winning churches, where the Bible is taught so people can take it home put it into practice. And uh, just keep doing it over and over. There's no substitute for the plan. Just keep doing it over and over and over and over. Don't get sidetracked. That's the hope of the world. And I, I appreciate these good men being here tonight. And you're going to hear a lot of good preachers for the week's out We're just getting started tonight. How many of you are too hot? You're a little too warm. Mm-hmm. How many are a little bit too cool? Let me check that out. You're a little too cool. How many are just right? Raise your hand. How many are here? Raise your hand. Let me see this. Well, I, I want to check you out and make sure you're all right. I heard about a fellow whose uh, office staff kept changing the thermostat all the time.
1: Uh,
0: one get too hot and went out and change the thermostat and... Others would get too cold, they'd go out and change the thermostat again. You ever notice that? My wife and I can't agree on where to set the thermostat. When I'm hot, she's cold. When I'm cold, she's hot. And we can't get that thing turned on right to save our life. She keeps turning it up and I turn it down and vice versa. So this office uh, had some employees who kept going out and changing the thermostat. And the man didn't know what to do because the temperature kept fluctuating. But every time somebody reset it, they'd be comfortable for a while and feel happy. So one day when they'd all gone to wor- home from work, He had a man come in, one of the fellows who did some of the mechanical work, and they came in and took uh, took the wires off the thermostat and left it hanging on the wall where it was, but disconnected it, and put a new thermostat inside his office where he could watch and control it. And the next Monday morning when work started and it got too hot, someone out and changed that on the wall. It didn't didn't affect the temperature at all, but they felt better because they thought it did. So if you're too hot, just, just think you turned it down a little bit, if you will a wonderful crowd, good crowd of preachers. I don't know what to preach on. I have so many things I want to share with you, and I don't know hardly what, where to start. I, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do tonight. I'm going to do something I never did. I'm going to preach a brand new sermon. Never preached it in my life. And uh, I hope you'll listen to me and work at listening to me, if you will, and get this volume just about right, and then don't fool with it no more. And I like that. And that's a good term by Gary Coleman, wasn't it? Back to the basics. Back to the basics. Earlier this year, I read an old story. I'd never read it before. You have read it. It was talking about the Battle of the Bulge. It took place in December 1944. And I, I read the story of how our Allied troops were marching successfully over the enemy and moving on and moving on. And some of them noticed uh, in, in the lines what they thought was a bulge. For the enemy soldiers began to... Experienced some success against our Allied troops during the Second World War, and they were succeeding, and they didn't know what was happening. They learned. They later learned after they had uh, found the problem and corrected it that their success was due to the ingenuity on the part of a German general who got some German soldiers and dressed them in American uniforms, blew them over the Allied lines, and then he also got some American jeeps that they had captured and somehow got them back behind the Allied lines. And they had no weapons, not a single gun, not a hand grenade, no pistol, no nothing. Their sole job was to go through the countryside and change the sign. If a sign pointed so many kilometers one direction, change it to another direction. Or if a sign said one thing, change it to read something else. And what had happened was, when the Allied troops would send the reinforcements, they sent reinforcements, but they never arrived because somebody had gone through the countryside and changed all the signs. And I've been thinking lately, in the religious world, even in the fundamental world, and I hope you're listening to me, I think if we're not careful, we'll run the risk of going the wrong direction because somebody's changed the sign. And the signs are constantly being changed. Now, words don't mean what they used to mean. And don't leave me and don't get mad. If you disagree, at least give me the courtesy of listening to me. The first sign I notice being changed is a sign of salvation. The Bible is so clear on how to be saved. The jailer said to the apostle Paul, Sir, what must I do to be saved? Paul answered, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. In John chapter 3, when Nicodemus said to Jesus, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb? be born. Jesus said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. You're talking about a a physical birth, he said. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit Marvel not that I said to you must be born again. You want to know how? All right, Nicodemus, you know the Old Testament story of the people being bit by the serpents. You know how Moses was instructed to raise a brazen serpent and every person that looked at it lived. All right, he said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Just like that, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. I'm going to die on a cross. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And that's the simple salvation sermon. An old preacher addressed a big congregation of younger preachers, and before he left, someone stood and said, Before you leave, give us one final word of advice. He wept and said, My preacher brothers, make it plain to men how they are to be saved. We preach on the Great Commission an awful lot, especially in the missions, conferences. But there's one thing I never hear emphasized when people preach on the Great Commission, and that's the word the gospel. He didn't say, Go into all the world and preach, baptizing men in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. But he gave them the specific message they were to deliver when they preached to people. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. If that is true in the Great Commission is given five times in the New Testament, then the most important message anybody can deliver anywhere in the world is the gospel message. When I started a church in Atlanta, Georgia, I had some preachers say to me, you need not try to build a church here. People are gospel-hardened. There's so many churches in Atlanta, they've heard the gospel so much, they have turned off their gospel-hardened. But after being in Atlanta for more than 20 years, I discovered that people in Atlanta were not gospel-hardened sad to say that they were gospel ignorant. A lot of folks wouldn't know the gospel if they met them in the middle of the road. they preach everything in the world and say, that's the gospel. I've even heard folks say, that's the gospel truth, that's the gospel truth. It may be the truth, but it may not be the gospel truth. When I preach on hell, I preach the truth, but I don't preach the gospel. I create a necessity for the gospel, but I don't preach the gospel. When I preach on judgment, I preach the truth and a solid Bible truth, but I'm not preaching the gospel, I'm creating a necessity for the gospel. When I preach on heaven, I preach a blessed truth, but I'm not preaching the gospel, I create a necessity for the gospel. And when I finish my sermon on hell or judgment or heaven or second coming, I may have created a desire in a man's heart to be saved lest he go to hell or lest he face God in judgment. But unless I preach the gospel, I haven't yet told that man how to be saved. I may have told him why he ought to be saved. i tell you the honest truth tonight. I wouldn't lie to you for anything in the world. If I had the whole world before me with one message to give, I'd give the simplest gospel sermon I could possibly give and make it clear to me how to be saved. I watch men by television time and spend millions and millions of dollars in television time. And they're experts at almost saying something. I sat in front of the television set and I said, he's about to say it. And I believe he's going to tell him how. And he gets that close. And I, I'm standing there sweating in my living room and my de- I'm, I said, please, he's close to it. Come on, tell him. And he stops that short and runs off somewhere and never tells the guy how to be saved. Now, I'm Baptist, Baptist born and Baptist bred. When I die, I'll be Baptist dead. I'm Baptist. And a rooster won't crow in his own barn. You ought to wring his neck and make chicken and dumplings out of him. I'm Baptist. And I was a president of Baptist University of America, and I know what Baptist doctrinal statements look like, and I know what a statement of faith is. But the sad thing in many Baptist churches is we've copied somebody else's doctrinal statement. And he copied somebody else's doctrinal statement. He don't know what his copy means because he copied somebody else. And we got a lot of things on our statements we don't really mean. We wouldn't believe it if we were pushed to the wall about it. For instance, that statement, we believe in the, in the perseverance of the saints. We put that in our statement, but we don't really believe that because I've heard you preach. We don't endure to the end. We don't persevere to the end, and therefore we're saved because we finally endure and make it. No, we're, we don't persevere. We are
1: preserved.
0: Now, some of you look like you've been pickled, but you're really preserved. Why don't we use Bible terminology rather than John Calvin's terminology? Wouldn't that be better? I don't believe in the perseverance of the saints. I believe in the preservation of the saints. They're signed, sealed and will be delivered. Say forever. Yeah. I didn't mean to get that in. That just came in. I told you it's a new sermon. I'm making it up as I go. The new. I'm going to make some notes on it myself, so give me time. But you go home and read your Baptist doctrinal sermon and say, We believe in salvation by grace through faith. That's what it says. And yet, we think if we don't make it real hard for people to get saved, they're not really saved. And we make it real, real hard for them to get saved, then they really, really are saved. And that's about as dumb as anything I've ever heard in my life. I don't know the difference between being saved and really saved. I never figured the difference out. That's like going to the funeral home and saying, that, and that casket is dead over there. He's dead. Just dead, that's all. But glory to God, this one over here, he's really dead. He's really dead. And this one over here, he has an old-fashioned sky-blue, heaven-dose of death. Glory to God, maggots working in his eyeballs. Hallelujah. He's got it. Now, they all feel in the same shape. They're just dead. My old preacher kept me as confused as a termite in a yo-yo, trying to preach the gospel to me. Somebody had saved the church and, whoo! and shout him down out. He'd say, boy, he's really safe. He, he really got a dose of old time. Glory to God, he's got it. A- and and everybody's shouting, and as a little boy, I thought, well, I didn't get it. And I, I didn't get really safe because I didn't run him down out and shout like that guy did, so I'm not really safe. But I learned after 21 years passing the same church, you can't tell my how much gas in the tank with the honk of the horn. I know a lot of Baptists still blowing their horn, been out of gas for years and years and years. We've confused the sign of salvation so the average person they want to be saved doesn't know how to be saved. Now, don't get mad at me. Because this one point's going to take a whole sermon here. Yeah, saved, really saved. No, you're just saved. And the moment you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you are saved, or, John, or Acts 16, 31 is the say, what if I didn't feel like it? A lot of days I don't feel like it. Some days it's noon before I begin to feel like I'm saved. But feelings go and feelings come and feelings are deceiving. My word is the word of God and all else is worth believing. So I'll trust in God's unchanging word till soul and body sever. Though all earth should pass away, his word abides forever. I feel good, but I don't know I'm saved because I feel good. I know I'm saved because the Bible says so, and I feel good because I know I'm saved. Don't you see that? I preached in churches and, pe- and told people how to get saved, and ask you to trust the Lord. Come shake the preacher's hand. They come down the aisle and trust the Lord and tell the preacher I'm trusting Jesus. And then somebody take them off with you and talk them out of it. And bring back a card. Wrote rededication on the card. I get so nervous. I don't know what to do. And you say, well, what about all these false professions? What about them? Where are they? I don't know any. You're getting all quiet here tonight. If you come to me and told me my profession was false, I'd slap your jaws in Christian love. Now, I know I wasn't lying to God when I told him I was trusting him. Why should I call a man who walks down an aisle a liar when he tells me he's trusting you? I say, you lying about it? Is this false? That's about the dumbest thing I heard of in a long time, man. Talk to him. What about all those little kids? What about them? They trust Jesus They're saved. Well, where are all of them? Well, where are the 100,000 members in Acts chapter 6 when you get to Acts chapter 12? They're scattered abroad. They're everywhere. That's where they are. I got them scattered all over the world. Got some in jail. Don't look surprised. You have too. You got some in jail. Not all of them are good. You're getting quiet on me. I'm going to have a good time. What you doing now? I'm probably going to hit you in a minute, so don't get too mad. They say, if you don't make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, you're not saved. You didn't get that in the Bible. You're getting quiet now, aren't you? Yeah. Was he Lord of David's life when he committed adultery with Bathsheba? No, he wasn't. Was David saved? Yeah, man, up to God's own heart. Come on. The guys who tell you to quit your sinning and God will save you had not quit their sinning yet. How many of you quit your sinning? You never have sinned since you've been saved. Raise your hand. I want to see the pen feathers on your back. If you haven't sinned since you've been saved, raise your hand if you're in here. I want to see you, dirty liar you. Sure you sins sinned since you've been saved. Come on. How many think you might have sinned today sometime? Raise your hand real high. and Let's see how many sinners we got here. Yeah, I got a bunch of them. How many told a lie since you've been saved? Raise your hand. Don't lie about it again. Come on, get them up, all you liars. Keep them up. Keep them up. You've lied since you've been saved? Raise your hand. You know what? You are? You're a liar. Keep your hand up. Keep it up, all you liars. And look around because those that don't have their hands up, biggest lies in the whole state of Texas. If getting saved is getting on your knees and promising Jesus you'll never sin again, I wouldn't get saved because I wouldn't lie about it. I'll promise I'll do the best I can, but my best ain't gonna be good enough. If my best was good enough, he didn't need to go to Calvary two thousand years ago and die for my sin. Don't leave me now. If confessing Jesus as Lord makes a man saved, then you gotta preach universal salvation. Because Jesus coming back someday and the Bible said every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Then you got universal salvation. You're getting all the quiet here, don't you believe the Bible? Why don't you just take it like it is? Salvation wasn't by grace and a gift. Nobody go to heaven. But we change a sign, and you know, and we apologize about preaching like this because we're afraid we're going to offend somebody who thinks you must keep the Ten Commandments to get saved. You're getting fired. Now, where I live, the Camelites—God bless you—you got them down here too, and you need a blessing with them folks around. They preach a lie and sing the truth. I never heard anything like them. Up there where you are, they got a class called "Amazing Grace" Bible class. is the mis- biggest myth I've no ever heard in my life. I watched them on television the other day. They were singing, "My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness." I, I screamed, "You lying devil!" What do you mean? You're you saying your host built on nothing less and time they don't get baptized, they're not saved. Your host built on the baptistry. If that water washed your sins away, I wouldn't let you baptize me up there. Not i let you baptize about 20 others in front of me, I'd come out in worse shape than I went in here. Come out more sin on my head when I went in the place. I wouldn't even want the preacher to baptize me lest his sins get washed off in there with me. I'd want the bab- baptistry sterilized and boiled and perfumed and boy, I went in it. And if they believe the water washed their sins away, they'd quit building the churches and get a water hole. Come on, man. The to sang that song the sons of the pioneers sang. Water, water, keep a moving, Dan. Don't you listen to him, Dan. He's the devil, not a man. And he feds the burning sand with water, water, water. That's what the order sang, instead of amazing grace. Ain't <laughs> hey, we having a good time here? But everybody comes along changes the sign on salvation. Why don't we leave it like it says? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and I shall be saved. Why don't we leave it like that? When a man says, I do, I want if he's really married. When he says, I do, if I'm performing the ceremony, it's done. And I don't say, did you really mean it? Are you sincere? is this a false profession you're making here? Or well, have I picked you green? Come on. I, he says, I do. I said, it's done. Go get out of here now. Did they live it? I don't know anybody that ever got married to lived it. My wife's sitting back there. She'll tell you I don't live it. So I'm going to tell you how she does. And I'm going to tell her she don't live it either. I never have known anybody live it. Everybody expected more of his wife than he got. It. And that was all quiet because your wife's sitting next to you dirty coward. But don't get mad because uh every husband wife's more wife of her husband she ever got to. So well, I said, was it a happy marriage? I said, Oh yeah, the marriage was very happy. It's the living together that's tough. Easy to get married hard to live the married life. Do your wife have a fuss? I words by so fast they don't have time to get crossed up. I never have I never have one to divorce her but I wanted to kill her three or four times. And tried to punt her forty yards one time but she wouldn't go only kidding i got better sense than that I'm, I'm making a point i'm exaggerating to make a point we don't ever exaggerate these five buckets of tears over exaggeration you we'll get that by midnight delivery tomorrow well a man gets married he says i do i never said you mean that are you serious about that is this a false profession or real? When a sinner comes out of heaven and he's trusted Jesus' Savior, I take him at his word and take God at his word and say, the guy is everlasting life. because so God said so, and that said He He's going to heaven. He may not behave all the time, but he's going to heaven. But we come along changing the salvation sign all the time. I'm we'll to add this to it and that to it and the other to it. Saying if you ever sinned since you got saved and blessed God, you need to go back and check your salvation. That's dumb. That's what you need to do is ask the Lord to forgive you, confess your sin based on First John one nine, get forgiveness and cleansing, get fellowship with God, going about your business. All my kids are my kids the day they were born—that's one thing about birth; it's final. If you believe in the new birth, the new birth is also final. I don't see how I don't see how these folks go on the television and preach on the new birth and tell you can lose it. How many babies you ever had born in your house you lost? You can't undo birth. I don't care if he comes out cross-sided and If and you want to disown him, he's still yours. This he belongs to you and your wife. Hey, your blood's in his body. Yeah. I'm worried because we keep changing the salvation sign. We're afraid if we if we say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, somebody may say, well, that's easy believism. Well, you know what? so? I don't know what hard believism is. If you'll describe hard believism, I might understand what easy believism is. Ninety-nine times in the Gospel of John, it says, Believe, 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 Now, one time it say, Behave, 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 but they believe. I'm, I'm telling you what the sign says. If you want to change the sign, you change it. Read what you want. I'm telling you what the sign says. Salvation's a gift. I've heard men get up over a dead body and say, that Joe's gone on to do his reward, and i know somebody... But no, he's not gone to reward. He's gone to heaven. Heaven's not a reward. Heaven's a gift. he gets get his reward at the judgment seat of Christ. He's gone to heaven now. Getting kind of quiet on me. Don't leave me. Yeah. I believe you ought to make Jesus Lord of your life and surrender to Christ and do right and be a good spirit filled Christian. But you don't do that stuff to get saved. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to get saved. And you live right because you are saved. If you don't live right, God will chastise you. Don't confess your sins. You get forgiveness and cleansing. That's clear as a bell in the Bible. But I got some more signs I want to talk about. But I like this sign. Because I think if there's ever been a need in America, it's a need that preachers go to the pulpit and preach the gospel for a king. Clear as a bell and tell folks how to get saved. I know when I go to churches, people are hungry to get saved. I'm not bragging. We had 684 saved in one service this year. The next Sunday had 120-something saved in one single city. Not bragging. But most people are like the fellow that you believe you told about him just now. Didn't nobody ever told me that before. If you check that guy, he's been to church hundreds of times in his life, but nobody ever told him that before. You know, there's a lot of folks in your neighborhood, nobody ever told them how to get saved. They never just took the Bible. Did you know I went to church all my life, and my preacher never told me how to be saved? You don't I ought to be. I, I was going to hell, but he never told me how to be, and if I wanted to be saved, I wouldn't know how. Let's not apologize for the simplicity of the gospel. Let's just tell it like it is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him and gets baptized and keeps the Ten Commandments and don't sin, makes Jesus Lord his life, shall not perish everlasting. Why don't we have like all that stuff in it? Why don't we just leave John 3.16 like John 3.16? You can't improve on John 3.16. I still love it. Glory to God, I'm about to shout thinking about it. I heard about a little boy over in London, a little raggedy boy didn't have a place to sleep at night. And the fellow said, you go down to a certain place at the front door and just say John 3.16. That's all you do. He didn't know what John 3.16 was. He'd never heard it, never seen it about it. It was a mission he went to. He knocked on the door, a man came out, he said, John 3.16, he said, come in, son. He took him to the bathroom, ran a tub full of hot water, gave him a big bar of soap and some wash balls, and said, get a bath and clean up. He got out of there, and he felt so good with his new bath, he said, John 3:16." Don't know what it means, but it sure makes a dirty boy clean. And he took him into the dining hall and sat there and put a big hot bowl of soup in front of him, some bread and butter, some jam, a big glass of milk. He ate that he couldn't eat no more. The man walked away, and he rubbed his little mouth off the crumbs from it and said, John 3.16. I don't know what it is, but it sure makes the hunger boy full. He took him and put him on a bed with clean sheets on it. This boy went to sleep. He looked up to the ceiling and said, John 3.16. I don't know what it is. And she'll make the dirty boy clean, makes the hungry boy full, and sure will make the tired boy rest yeah. Well, I know what it means. I mean, it means God loved me and you so much that he took our sins and put them on Jesus 2,000 years ago and punished Jesus in our place to pay the debt we owe and tell us we'll just believe on him. We have everlasting life. And I'm going to stick with it. Now, you can change if you want to, but I'm going to stick with it. We'd have revival, We'd start preaching salvation by grace through faith again, like the Bible says. I won thousands of people to Christ that never joined my church. Were they really saved? Yep, they were saved. We don't have any unreally ones, all of them are really ones. People ask dumb questions, don't they? Like a guy building a new building, the fellow said, well, I see you put up a new building, aren't you? Well, they said, yeah, we don't put up any old ones, we just put up new ones. Well, hallelujah, amen, glory to God. Another sign we're changing, the sign of separation. I thank God I read my Bible for some of these folks that coined the expression legalism came along. Now then, if you know, if you believe in living clean, you're a legalist. A legalist, in some man's eyes, is somebody that's more separate than he is. It's, it's sad because I see educated people. I mean college professors calling separation legalism. Don't get mad. Don't get mad. Legalism is teaching you must keep the law in order to get saved. It has nothing to do with separation. Same thing, are legally. Come on. Separation has nothing to do with salvation. It has to do with a man and how man lived to get saved. You're not a legalist because you say you ought not to get drunk, kill anybody. It'll make you a legalist. But if you say to a guy that no, don't get drunk, don't kill anybody, and you can go to heaven, now that's legalism. That's teaching works for salvation. Don't leave me. And now, you know, we're afraid to the, the preach folks ought to live right anymore. We're afraid we'll get branded a legalist. Why did not you? We've changed the separation sign to legalism. Let's take the legalism label off. Let's don't let people change that sign. The queers have ruined the good word. you all be quiet in here. One of those guys died out in California. They cremated made him, sending his ashes home in the fruit jar. They have stole the word gay from my vocabulary. You can't even say gay the more you say, well, he's just, the kid looks a like gay. Oh, I don't mean that. You can't even use a good word anymore. The they've ruined it. Next time a guy says, you so-and-so's a legalist, say, now, you're lying about that, or you're dumb, one or the other. Or you slept too long on one side, and your brain tumbled out your ear, Something happened to you. Dr. Howells wears his hair shorter than I wear mine. But he's not a legalist. The hair, Krishna's, wear their hair shorter than Dr. Howells. But they're not legalists. I know a bald-headed modernist who believes doesn't believe in the virgin birth. It looks like his neck's bone above. He don't have a hair at all. Why don't we name legalism? Well, leave legalism sign alone. Legalism is teaching keeping the law to get saved, or keeping or doing works to get saved, or getting baptized to get saved. Teaching anything contrary to salvation by grace through faith. Some of these guys who call separation legalism are legalists themselves, and say if you don't do this, that, and other, you are not
1: saved.
0: I'm having a good time. I don't know where you are, now but I'm having a good time. And no one in the world's is confused especially young folks coming along hadn't read the Bible very much. They hear so much they then they tend to say well he is who's right. He, it's not who's right it's it's this book is it right. If the book's right stay with the book don't stay with the who stay with the book. When they gathered at the empty tomb of Jesus they didn't gather together with somebody. Their common love for Jesus brought them together at the empty tomb. It wasn't a planned meeting. It wasn't scheduled. they just to show up together. You know why you're here tonight in this building? You you kind of believe in the same things I do. You wouldn't be here, unless you come out of curiosity. And we're telling you a hide right now. I enjoy the music. David Parish did music. I like the choir. I like a little pop pop in the music. I like a little. I don't like everything dead. He got quiet then didn't you? Did you know the devil don't have any music? There'll be no music in hell. The devil stole music from God and prostituted him. Did you know music is the only language you can't say an unkind word then? Try to sing an unkind word or try to say something against somebody mean in music. You can't do it. Never been a song written that said unkind thing. It's the only language you can't be unkind in. Talk to me. You never thought about that before, had you? I hadn't either just then. I better make a note of that. That's good. I like that. The sound of salvation is been changed from salvation by grace through faith to salvation plus making Jesus Lord to salvation plus quitting all your sins. I'm for quitting all the sin you can quit. I'm for living as right as you know how I live and I don't think anybody tried to live any righter than I do. There's a lot of things I've never done. i never smoked a cigarette in my life. don't know what it tastes like. Never had a drop of beer in my mouth and my life. I don't know what it tastes like. Never had a drop of whiskey in my mouth and my life. don't know what it tastes like strongest thing I've been in my mouth I got it in the Primitive Baptist Church homemade wine by a deacon it's the Lord's Supper don't get mad at me but that's where I got it burned my tongue off I said Lord of mercy what they putting in this juice the hottest stuff I've ever had in my mouth only time i wanted to spit in the church Unless you think I've been perfect, I did have one chill browns and mule to a friend of mine had a big old plug that big, and he took it out, took a bite, coming to walking home from school. He said, you want some of this? I said, is it good? He said, good, man, it's good. I thought if it's good, I'm going to get all I can get. So I opened my mouth the big I could, and took a bigger bite so I could. I almost took the whole plug. And it was good. I'm not lying. It was good. It had a sweet taste. My salivary exams were working overtime. The minute my mouth's full of juice, and I did what I do with all sweet juice. I get in my mouth, I swallowed it. I swallowed four or five times, and I began to veer off to the right. I couldn't go left.
1: And
0: I looked over at him. I said, come get me. I can't come back. And he laughed and let me just go. I just kept going to right. I lost my left landing gear. I just kept going right. Finally, I couldn't stand up. I fell down. And when I fell down, the world turned upside down. And I held on to clumps of grass with my hands. And please, I said, please, God, don't let me fall off the world. If you won't let me fall off the world until it gets back up right, I never would chew no more brown mulew long as I live. And I never did. But beechnut that's a different story. No, that's all I ever had. That one big bite of brown. you like to kill me. That old mule kicks. Somebody say, can you chew the back and go to heaven? Yeah, but you had to go to hell and spit. Won't be no spit tunes up there. are we having a good time? This is a sword conference, isn't it? Well, this sword I'm preaching right here. This is a sword. The sign of salvation has been changed. The sign of separation has been changed. Maybe some of you don't practice as much personal separation as somebody else does, but you're wrong to criticize the other guy. If the guy's going overboard, I'd rather see him go overboard if they were right than if they were wrong. Some, I remember when 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 the bell-bottom trousers came out. You remember there's a period there where they... Where they you remember when the pants legs were also so narrow you couldn't get your foot through it? You had to take your shoes off to get your britches on. You remember that? Look, I see some... They a these little thing I was seen. you know, make your feet look that long. And finally they came back to the stovepipe britches. And I was so to get some big-legged britches. And I bought the first ones that came out. And the guy got to preach against my bell-bottom trousers. His modernism had on bell-bottom trousers. The Lord have mercy. You've got to wear them pistol-legged britches to be the fundamentalist. I thought that's the weirdest thing. colored shirts came out and somebody said to Dr. Rice Dr. Rice said you think that's worthy wearing that red shirt Dr. Rice said to me he would really have a 50 to see my underwear you got some kind of wear on do back there salvation sign the separation sign let's keep preaching salvation by grace through faith no, let's don't people let's don't let people muddy that up and intimidate us by, by saying you're preaching easy believers and I'm going to preach believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and I should be saved and you can make fun of it if you want to and you can question my converts if you want to but I know everybody that believes on the Lord Jesus Christ is saved so God don't lie and if you're more separated than I am I'm not going to fuss it to you you know yeah if I'm more separated than you are, don't fuss with me. I have to wear my hair short and place And that I wear long, I place it. If you ball in the front, you'll think. If you ball on the back, you'll love her. If you ball in the fine back, you think you'll love her. I don't know if that's true enough. That's an old one I shouldn't have given you that. Hallelujah. Then there's another sign being changed, the soul winning sign being changed. Did you now hear fundamental independent preachers say, Well, you don't build churches now by soul winning. I thought, Well, well, who gave that preacher the right to change the Bible until it's 1986? When the Great Commission was given, it said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every preacher. It didn't say, Go to church and preach those that show up. It said, Go into the world and preach them out there. and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. That's pretty plain, isn't it? And that Great Commission closes by saying, even unto the end, the world. How long is it supposed to go on? 86, 87, 88, 89, 90, 91, till Jesus comes back. You keep doing the same thing they did in the book of Acts. Daily in the temple and in every house, say, Cease not to preach and teach Jesus Christ. We think we're smarter than God now, though. We say, well, it's, it was okay, God, back then, but it's 1986, yeah. But God's the same, the Bible's the same, sinners are the same, plan of salvation the same, Holy Spirit's the same, needs the same, if we get saved the same way. Brother Randy Ray said to me earlier, we need to get back this workhorse soul winning, which he meant just practical soul winning, just telling folks how to get saved. He told me, he told me about somebody, I believe he won the cross the other day. Cross the street and where he lives where the church is located he said I thought I, need, I just need to go tell him how to get saved been there for several years when I opened the Bible so I had to get saved man got saved you hear expressions like this if you read Evangelical magazines, you'll read expressions like this we believe in making disciples not in getting decisions how can you make disciples without getting decisions unless you steal somebody else's decisions who, who are you going to make disciples out of unless you get some decisions don't leave me And, you don't, and they say you don't confront people anymore with the gospel. They talk about lifestyle evangelism as opposed to confrontational evangelism. Did you know the Bible knows one kind of evangelism? Confrontational evangelism. Did you know John the Baptist was a witness? Don't go to sleep. John chapter 1, verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a... Witness. He was not the light, but came to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. How did he witness? With his lifestyle? Walking around town grinning like a possum? With honey and grasshoppers hanging out of his beard and the leather girdle on? How many folks would say, John, you got something I ain't got? Tell me how to get
1: saved.
0: They'd have put a white jacket on holding with the insane asylum. But now then, you know, they say, well, don't confront people with it. Just, just live it before them. I passed the a church for 21 years. We had people saved and baptized every service I was there every Sunday I was there. Not one of them was one because I walked around in front of them trying to be a good Christian. Though I did try to be a good Christian, but they were one to Christ called to open this Bible and showed them how to get saved. It doesn't say go into all the world and demonstrate your good lifestyle. It says go into all the world and preach the gospel. Confront them. Talk to them. Romans 1.17 does not say faith comes by observation. What does it say? It says faith cometh by hearing, not by seeing, by hearing. And hearing by what? By the Word of God. Isn't that plain? That's Romans 10.17 in those lifestyle evangelists, the Bible. What about the woman of the well? She just got saved. Been married five times time to the man wasn't her husband. She'd have been baptized, capsized, or Simonized. She had no presbytery from a parson's apple. There had been some. Uh, there had been a big group of independent fundamental Baptist preachers in town all day long at the local steakhouse discussing why you couldn't win folks to Christ in that town. And their chief argument was that we don't want to get them green. You say that in the Bible, yeah. Look at John four thirty five. Jesus said to that crowd, it's gonna be all to eat meat, discussing why you couldn't do it in that town. Don't say four months and then comes the harvest. Behold the whole that fields are ripe, not green, ripe already to harvest, and the laborers are few. The problem is not with the harvest, it's with the laborers. We don't have anybody to work anymore. Did you know that woman didn't know John three sixteen? She had been to a sword conference? She never had read Dr. Howell's book on how to win souls. She never had read Dale Carnegie's book on how to win friends and influence people. She just ran the town, same town where these independent fundamental Baptist preachers had been sitting about discussing why you couldn't do it there. And she didn't know you couldn't do it there. And she just said, come see a man that told me all that ever I did is not this to Christ. She didn't know one Bible verse. She even exaggerated. He didn't tell everything she ever did. She just told she'd been married five times. A the man wasn't her husband. But you can forgive her for exaggerating. She was a woman. But God overlooked her exaggeration. And you know what the Bible says? Many in the town. What's the next word? Believe. Oh. Oh, that's funny, isn't it? Believed on him because of her testimony. Because of her life. Because of what she said and what she did. That's what she said. And what did they do? They believed and made Jesus Lord of their life and got baptized and kept the Ten Commandments and started tithing. No, they just believed. Yeah, that's all they did. Well, they saved what the Bible says. Now, if you teach her lifestyle of evangelism, she went to town grinning, kind of looked like a good Christian. How many folks have they got saved? Nobody. There's to look at her. She's done got run at me. I bet she got another man now. Look at her. She's grinning. She done run him off now. She done got another one. What kind of lifestyle does she have, man? Been married five times. Shacked up with a man she wasn't married to. She didn't have no lifestyle. She wasn't even a church member yet because they hadn't had time to get a motion in second. That's the book. That's John chapter 4. That's in the Bible. You know what's in the Bible? You, you, you're not going to bite it by running around Greenwich. Jimmy Carter was born grinning. The undertaker's di- most difficult job when he dies to get him to his mouth. They'll take ten tubes of glue to get his lips stay together. I always tell the truth, and when I do, I go another two. What's the soul one in say in the Bible? Psalm one twenty six, verse six, He that goeth forth and weepeth, beg precious seed, Doubtless come again rejoicing, bring in chiefly. Why do we want to leave that and go to somebody else's method when this is a Bible program? You know what these conference is about? It's about getting us back to the Bible program. Just being serious with God and serious with the Bible. That's all. He that goes that's me. If I go and I weep, that I have compassion for sinners and love sinners, and I bear the precious seed, Luke eight eleven says the seed the word of God. The promise is I will without a doubt come again rejoicing, bringing. My cheese, wouldn't If I don't come back rejoicing bringing cheese, then Psalm 126 6. Why? The problem is, we're not going and weeping and opening this Bible because we've been told that's not the way you do it anymore. And we believe some preacher who's educated beyond common sense. I think that's the worst thing having preacher's is education. you all awful quiet here, man. We get educated. We we find ourselves correcting God all the time, no more and nobody in God knows about it. I'm not against education. I think everybody have a little bit. One guy says, "Thank God for my ignorance." Another guy says, "Bless him, all he has lots to be grateful for." He changed the salvation sign you think it's too easy to tell a man Jesus died for him trust Lord Jesus Christ, on the Lord Jesus Christ believe in the Lord Jesus Christ Now to be saved so we won't let all this other stuff to him we change the separation sign then that's legalism it's how to discourage people who to to separated clean lives no, it's not legalism it shows you're ignorant they've changed they saw winning in to to go and preach the gospel go around and live it before why don't some of these preachers who teach lifestyle evangelism teach lifestyle tithing Why do they have these stewardship bangers and pass out these envelopes and pledge cards? Why don't they just get up before the people and every Sunday let the deacon the march by all the offering place and let him put his tithe in and grin? So the, until the congregation watches him so much they say one Sunday, "What are you doing, preacher? That I'm tithing." See how many weeks you can stay in business with lifestyle tithing? You're gonna to have to have a stewardship banquet and time them down, hit them over the head, and do everything with them. Guy said to me the other day, I can't get enough money out of my people. How to get more money out of them? I said, You know how to get more milk out of a cow? Take her entire head up to a post to get you a two before. Hit her across the head. Hard as you can hit her for five times. What? God bless you, Bessie. You give more if you trying. You're holding out, God bless you. You don't need to keep all that milk. You can't drink it. What? Hit her again. There ain't the way to get more milk out of a cow. I don't know where to get more milk out of a cow is feed her some good alfalfa and some sweet seeds. Just pour it to her. She'll come trotting home with all four faucets running right open. You have to get a bucket to get on in a hurry. You'll miss some of it. I'm telling you the truth. We used to have a cow like that. We had to chase her home with a bucket. She spilled half of it on the way home. I tried to put new fo- uh, washers in her faucets, but I couldn't find a place to take them off. And you know what? If you'll pet old Bessie across the back and say, God bless you, Bessie, is the best cow in Texas, be sweet to her. She'll sleep on her back so the cream will be on the top in the morning. But if you really want more milk and a dairy, go buy you 50 more cows. If you want more money in the office, plate, go win your 50 more sinners to Jesus and get them down the aisle. If that ain't enough money, go eat your 50 more and get them down the aisle and teach them how to tithe. You might want a, you might want a cow out there that gives several gallons a day. Well, in my case, most of my cows gave a cup full. But i tagged on the one or two to give a bucket full every once in a while. Yeah. Sound about soul winning and changed. Why don't you teach lifestyle baptism? So tell a man you ought to get... Don't confront him and say you ought to be baptized in since sense. You say, just let one of the deacons baptize you every Sunday. You just, you just demonstrate through your lifestyle that he ought to do something. And after a while, when they baptize you so much, you slow until so you look like a prune. Maybe somebody run up there and say, what are you doing? You said, I'm getting baptized. Could I get baptized? Well, you said, if you want to. You beg me. We'll let you get baptized. That's dumb, ain't it? You know why you teach lifestyle evangelism, why people are just lazy and don't want to work and don't want to go see people because the hardest work in the ministry is knocking on doors and trying to get people to get saved. That's the hardest work. It's easy to go to the platform and preach like I'm doing right there because you like to hear the amen that I'm enjoying. And you like to have people pat you on the back and say, there's a good sermon, I enjoy it. But when you want to soul to Christ out there at the bus stop, go on the back alley and some poor little shack, nobody's going to pat you on the back and brag on your back there. But heaven looks down and sees you when that little fellow to Christ over there. And they have old-fashioned Nazarene Pentecostal Baptist bobbing running tips and kick up gold dust up in heaven and shout when you get somebody saved. Let's change that soul winning sign back. What do you say? These dirty crooks gone through the countryside changing the signs on us. No wonder we go in every direction. Let's change it back to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Let's change it back that he that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed shall arise come again to the joys and bring chief. Let's change it back. And when they say lifestyle, you say, oh, no, no. Faith comes by hearing, not by observation. Was John the Baptist the lifestyle evangelist? He was a witness, a witness, a witness. Keep reading John chapter 1, see, I witness. Then in verse 23, he said, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. He didn't say, I'm the life of one demonstrating the wilderness. Let's take it like it says it. I'm the voice of one. You know what? I am the voice of one. You know what? David Bowley's the voice of one. You know what, Brother Randy Ray's the voice of one. Gary Coleman's the voice of one. Larry Norell is the voice of one. Dear Brother Pringle's the voice of one. You're the voice of one. Everybody is the voice of one. That's all you're the voice of one. And you know what you ought to be doing? Crying in the wilderness. You know what you ought to be crying? Jump down six verses and see what John cries in verse 29. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Behold him, it means look at him, trust him, depend on him, look to him. I don't know why it is. We think we ought to change. Everything else changed. You know, they changed ties. I threw away my wife and I, this week. I went through my father. I, we must have took out, I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say, four or five hundred times. I didn't count them. I never seen them any time. They're wild enough. You can make a twelve out of three of them. Sure, well, I dropped food on I told her to put them in the refrigerator and make some soup out of them. don't know what kind of soup it'd be, but we could name it some kind of new name and sell it. And can it? Style shame. Car change. Car change. The gasoline changes, so we feel the Lord changes. The Church program, Everything has changed. No, let's stay with it. Malachi 3.6, God said, I am the Lord thy God, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Mm -hmm. I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee up out of the land of Israel. James chapter 1, all good and perfect gifts come down to the Father above, in whom there is no bearableness. You ought to say that slow to yourself sometimes. In whom there is no veribleness. He never varies in one hour. Neither shadow of pain. What a statement. Let's get back to the old book. What do you say? Let's get back to being salvation by grace. Let's get back to saying separation is one thing. Leave is another thing. Don't get them confused. Let's get back to going to soul winning like the Bible says instead of of falling all this lifestyle stuff. I believe in living a good life. And it backs up your testimony and people will listen to you better if you live it yourself. But you can't live it long to get anybody saved because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You've got to tell them how to get saved. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them to believe. Not by the foolishness of observation. Need I keep driving that point home because i got another sign I want to change here for with. quit. Oh, the Pentecost is about ruin this sign. It's the Spirit-filled life sign. And most Baptists have heard so much erroneous teaching about the spirit filled life that they if anybody says spirit filled, they jump about two miles. Here's them to death. But the Holy Spirit's the best friend you ever had. He's your constant companion, you're out of business without him. So what happens? P T L Cubs comes along, don't get mad, Pentecostal friends, and lose your religion. Tammy comes along, Jim. They put up a new sign, a Grin, and say, The baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. That's not in the Bible. That's not even in the PTL sub-Bible. Don't leave me now. Don't leave me. And So we, we've seen such a mess made out of it, we don't want to be filled with the Holy Spirit at all. Now, but one church in the Bible spoke in tongues. The church at Corinth. And it was not a spiritual church, it was a carnal church. First Corinthians three, chapter three, verse one, Paul said, Brother, I cannot speak in you under spiritual, but as under carnal it is under babes. I said you with milk not with meat, because hitherto up in the day not what were not able to bear it, neither yet now you're able. For well, you're carnal and walk as men, wherein there's strife and division among you. One them of on Paul, one of on Apollos. What thought what sort of they're carnal, they're fleshly keep reading the book of First Corinthians, you'll find them committing adultery with their own stepmothers. You'll find them taking you out of the court. You'll find them eating meat, sacrificed to idols. You'll find the women running the church in chapter 14. And he says the women keep silent in the
1: church.
0: You take them now the tongue's who to will die tomorrow. I guess I made a lot of this tonight, but I'm having the most fun. Nowhere does the Bible say when you feel the Holy Ghost you'll speak in tongues. That's not in anybody's Bible unless they wrote it in there. Luke chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, speaking of John the Baptist, says, He shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and he shall neither drink wine nor strong drink, but shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. If you've got to talk in tongues as an evidence, can you visualize John being born before they cut the umbilical cord? He said, Whoa! They said, He's got it, he's got it, glory to God, he's got it. Can you visualize such a thing? He was filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. I didn't write it. I'm just saying what it says. If you don't like it, tear it down to tell God you don't like it. That's what it says in Luke 1.15. The kid couldn't talk he was a year old, let alone in tongues. I got a boy who can't speak English yet. He speaks hillbilly. Was and getting fixed and y'all about to and all that stuff. If he ever masters that tongue, I'll be happy. Let alone another tongue. But they say it's our prayer language, you know. We talk to God in this language, and I thought to myself, wouldn't it be good if God knew English? You wouldn't, have to sound, you wouldn't have to sound like a turkey gobbler when you talk to him. You could just talk in English. You could understand. Wouldn't it be nice? I know your verse, First Corinthians 14, verse 2. He that speaketh in unknown tongue speaketh not unto men but unto God. But you stopped in the middle of the verse. You didn't finish it. The rest of the verse says, how be it no man understandeth him. The Bible does not say the unknown tongue. That's not anybody's Bible. It says an unknown tongue. These the are definite article. You know I knew that, did you, An means any tongue you don't know. V means some specific tongue. But an unknown tongue means any tongue you don't know. If you don't know Chinese, that's an unknown tongue to you. If you don't know Hebrew, it's an unknown tongue to you. All tongues except English and Hillbilly is unknown to me. So when it says he that speaks in an unknown tongue speaketh not of the men, but unto God You know they sure to get that messed up good. Did you ever did you ever sit down a restaurant and hear people in a booth next to you speaking in another language? <laughs> and, and you, you you know you look and they look towards you and, and you and you think they're looking at me they're talking about me I wish I knew what they were saying <laughs> and you say oh I just knew what they were saying they're speaking an unknown tongue to you why because it says how be it no man understanding of course if it was an unknown tongue you couldn't understand it. you understood it wouldn't be unknown isn't that simple isn't that simple and I didn't go to college. Isn't that simple? He just be not on tongue speaking, not unto men, but unto God. Oh, well, why are you speaking to God then? Because there's no tongue God doesn't know. You can't get in the corner and talk in Chinese and think God's not listening, because He knows Chinese too. And you can't get in the corner and talk in Hebrew and think God's not. Doing. He knows Hebrew too. You can't speak in any language God don't know. He listens on all conversations. He knows all languages. But you can get in the middle of this business, and start speaking in Russian. Nobody would know what in the world you're saying. we of everything you're saying. So if you spoke in an unknown tongue, they'd be speaking unto men, because we we'd not know what it was. But you would speak to God because he knows Russian. And they took that verse and made a prayer language out of it. And they really think they talk like that God hears them better. Sad, really. They changed the spirit-filled signs and said you get spirit-filled and the evidence speaking in tongues. You know, everybody that's saved ought to be spirit-filled. Ephesians 5, 18 says, Be not drunk with wine, where it excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. But when John the Baptist still was filled with the Holy Ghost, he never spoke in tongues. Not even after he was one year old, two years old, he never spoke in tongues in his whole life and he filled with the Holy Ghost in his mother's womb.
1: Come
0: on. i I tell you what he did do. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord and shall neither drink wine nor drink, but shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's name. Next verse. And he shall know. And he shall speak in tongues knowing. And many of the children of Israel shall return to the Lord their God. This an evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit, having a burden for souls and many more souls to Christ. Because the Holy Spirit's whole mission in the world is to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come. The Holy Spirit's mission of the world is to draw sinners to Jesus. The Holy Spirit's mission of the world is to save people. It's a spiritual birth. You can't be saved apart from the Holy Spirit. And I've talked to some special Pentecostal people and, and explained these verses, and I, I had one man say to me, I don't care what the Bible says, you're not going to talk me out of my experience. And I said, wow. Wow. Well, if your experience does not harmonize with the Bible, you better junk your experience to get to the Bible. I may as well say this because I've made enemies anyway. But the tongues movement is doing more to bring together the One World Church for the Antichrist than anything I know of. Because you have Mormons and Catholics and Baptists and Lutherans and everything all in one big hodgepodge. And the basis of fellowship is they've all had the same experience. They don't care what they believe. How the where can you put your armor on a Roman Catholic priest who believes in salvation with the seven sacraments and thinks that the man over in Rome is infallible? They dress him like mama and call him papa. Come on. And let a Catholic reason in mortal and venial sins and purgatory and limbo. Limbo is a place where unbaptized infants go, just in case you didn't get baptized. That's where the Church of Christ got baptized in the regeneration of the Catholics. Well, you got it, too. You got it. They with not I just threw that in. Didn't have it. That's, this is all my notes right here. Didn't have them. I don't even need them. Because I'm through with them. Yeah. You, they get together with Catholics, believe in baptism regeneration. Think of the little baby dies before he gets baptized, he goes to the limbo, So, if he hasn't been baptized, he can't go to heaven. So when they baptize him, he saves him, he gives him the spiritual birth, so he calls him papa or father the rest of his life, because he's a spiritual father. That's why the Bible says, call no man father. Only one father, the father in heaven. It's kind of quiet here. You say you're mad at everybody, just about everybody, I'm get mad at the rest of them. You know why I'm mad? Oh, people have been changing the signs. And they got the world confused. Oh, let's leave the signs like that. You know why the German soldier had a major success at the Battle of the Bulge? Because somebody got behind the lines and it's when I'm changing the signs. I can't speak on the rest of these signs that have been changed. But I wish I could. There's more of The fundamental signs changed. We've done a total new definition of fundamentalism. So that now includes evangelicals. Don't leave me. Dr. John R. Rice was a member of the National Association of Evangelicals, the NAE. And he left it because they wouldn't take a strong stand on separation and believe in evangelical evangelism, putting Catholics and Mormons and everything together. An evangelistic effort to get people saved, claiming that the end justifies the means. Dr. Rice said that ain't right, he stood up against it and fought it in the early fifties and sixties. lost thousands of descriptions over it, but thank God he didn't count any laws. He knew what was right, and he said what was right. If evangelicalism was bad when Dr. Rice pulled out of it. It's worse now. We've changed the fundamentalist sign, and we use the word evangelical and fundamentalist synonymous. They two different birds. an evangelical may believe in all the fundamentals of the faith but he doesn't believe in the ecclesiastical separation Billy Graham believes in all the fundamentals of the faith he doesn't practice the ecclesiastical separation, you're getting fired in here now yeah. well he yokes up with unbelievers he puts his arm around a catholic priest and calls him Mr dear christian brother when he knows if he pleads the bible that he's not saved that he's trusting the seven sacraments. He hasn't got the last rites yet and may not get them. If he misses one sacrament, he's going to be in bad shape. He going to get all seven funnels. He calls him a Christian brother. He's not trusting Jesus. He's trusting his Catholic Church. He's trusting his baptism. Christian brother. Now then, Francis Schaefer writes a book on the great evangelical disaster. He's right, isn't he, this after? But he, ne- but he never told what caused the disaster. The disaster is, he says, some of our young evangelicals are denying the virgin birth. Some of our young evangelicals are now denying the verbal inspiration of the Bible. Poor fellow couldn't see why they did it. I'm not fussing. I'm he couldn't see why they did it. What happened? They yoked up with people that spit on the Bible and laughed at the virgin birth and and, and raised these young evangelicals around people that spit on the Bible. And they, they found out these guys that didn't believe the Bible were were nice fellows. They weren't mean like I am. Come on. And they fell in love with these guys. And then he gave an intellectual argument as to why Jesus could not have possibly been virgin born. It's about biological impossibility. And he raised him around these turkeys. And these turkeys then taught him to believe the Bible's not the word of God. And now they now they're decrying the great evangelical disaster, and they don't know they created it. Because first generation new evangelical, joking up with unbelievers produced a second generation of new evangelicals who became unbelievers. You don't put a well man in the hospital room with a sick man to get the sick man well. If you put a well man and a sick man in the hospital room, it doesn't equal two well men but two sick men. You don't put a skunk in the living room with a bottle of perfume to, to make the sun feel, smell better. The result will be the perfume will smell worse. You don't level up, you level down. We may be broad in our base, but we're sure getting a lot more shallower every time we get broader. we get more shallower. Fundamentally, somebody believes the Bible is the Word of God, believes in the fundamentals of faith, and he believes in ecclesiastical separation. He does not yoke up with unbelievers knowingly. He does not call a man that spits on the virgin birth a Christian brother. Honey, quiet... But well, I threw my signs away, but the signs are being changed. Every one of these points deserves a well-developed sermon that's taught. And I just put Scripture by memory. I haven't been able to give it to you. There's so many signs of being changed, but I thought somebody ought to say something about it. I thought somebody ought to say, hey, tell folks you're saved by grace and faith again. I think somebody ought to say, hey, it's hard right to be separated and live right. You're not a legalist because you want to live clean, right? I thought somebody would say, hey, the way to, get to build churches to go back to Solon and go and tell try how to get the same one folks to Christ. I'm not mad at anybody. But I do love God, and I do love this book, and I love what's right. And I think President Reagan has been quoting Edmund Burke for the last week. He's quoted him five or six times. He watched the president on television. One of the famous quotes he used this week are over and over again. It's all that's necessary for bad men to succeed is for good men to do nothing. And while these people change all the signs that we know they're changing, we know it's wrong, we just sit around and let them change and don't ever say anything. I don't know what the next generation of young people is going to do. If somebody don't talk about sowing it again and preach the gospel fear again. And that's what these conferences are all about. So, what do you say? We just. Every time we see a sign change, and we hear some turkey get up and change it, wait, wait, that's the wrong sign. Turn it back around. The way the heavens not worked in baptism, even the way the heavens by grace through faith. Put that back on us. Take that other junk off the sign. Change the sign
1: around again.